You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Elon Musk sues OpenAI and CEO Sam Altman, alleging they violated the company's founding mission by putting profit ahead of benefiting humanity full coverage ahead. Plus, we'll have full earnings coverage ahead and sit down with the CEO of EV maker Fisker. Shares are absolutely plunging and the company's survival is in doubt. Meanwhile, we'll bring you the takeaways from Mobile World Congress over in Barcelona. That says smartphone makers, particularly Chinese ones, are touting their AI capabilities. Where is Apple? When will it join the rivals in debuting that sort of tech? And let's dig in, because we're talking about Elon Musk, how he is suing OpenAI and its CEO, Sam Altman, alleging they violated the artificial intelligence startup's founding mission by putting profit ahead of benefiting humanity. Now, the lawsuit was filed late Thursday in San Francisco. It states that the company's close relationship with Microsoft has undermined its original mission of creating open-source technology that wouldn't be subject to corporate priorities. I'm pleased to say our Elon Inc. expert, Matt Chafkin, is here with us. And look, he's not the only one who said this. In fact, Kai-Fu Lee told me a couple of weeks ago that he thinks open AI should be called and rebranded closed AI. But he is one of the most vocal critics, having been an original founder and donor. Yes, and, and many of the points that are made in this lawsuit, Elon Musk has been making for months. He has been complaining, number one, hey, I put a lot of the money into this thing. I think the lawsuit says $44 million over the first few years. It was partly my idea. Uh, you recruited all these people you know, on the strength of my personality, and the promise was that this was going to be a open source, a thing for the benefit of humanity, and now look, it has a, you know, a very, very valuable deal with Microsoft, you know, huge revenue, uh, sky-high valuation, Sam Altman's going around uh, talking about starting even bigger ventures, and, and, and Elon Musk is sort of asking, and has been asking for months, 
how did this happen? And is this, and as he has said on, on podcasts and so on, is this even legal? Now, I should say, this is at least partly a stunt. Elon Musk has a competing company, XAI. He is doing many of the same things that he is accusing uh, Sam Altman of doing. And, and a cynic might say, well, uh, part of the reason he's mad at OpenAI is because OpenAI is doing them better than XAI is. Right. Uh, Max, Caro, I, I, I spoke to OpenAI in the last 30 minutes or so, and at this point, they declined to comment. They got nothing to say about the suit. I don't even know that it's that much of a surprise, right, given Musk's history of using litigation for various end goals. You talked about the grok-sized elephant in the room. I do note that, that Musk engaged with uh, someone else on, on X this morning saying, gosh, the discovery process is going to be interesting because we might learn what happened that weekend that Sam Altman briefly lost his job at OpenAI, Max. Yeah, and you know, Elon Musk, as we know, we've talked about this many times on this show, he loves a spectacle, right? He loves a stunt, and he also loves to, you know, stir the pot to, to start beef with uh, uh, various uh, billionaires and other rich guys, you know, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or, or, or Mark Cuban. And so I think part of it is that, right? Part of this is a, a, a way that I think uh, for him to attack a potential competitor and also, you know, call attention to the role that he played or that he feels he played in the creation of this exceedingly valuable uh, industry. If you look at what Elon Musk actually wants here, like what is the, what is the lawsuit asked for? It's asking for essentially uh, a judge to make the technology open source which I suppose could hurt Microsoft, could hurt OpenAI's commercial prospects. He's also looking for a ruling uh, from a judge on whether or not GPT-4, which is OpenAI's you know, state-of-the-art algorithm, whether that constitutes artificial general intelligence. And in a weird way, that's kind of a win-win for Musk, right? Because either the judge says it is artificial general intelligence, which would then benefit the case, which would it, it potentially invalidate this Microsoft deal, or it would be a judge sort of writing down that OpenAI's product is overhyped and, and it's not as good as, as they've been saying. So it's, it's kind of an interesting way to, at the very least, attack a competitor uh, you know, from kind of an unexpected angle. Now, we might say that Elon Musk has other skin in the game. And actually, if you go back in his history, his whole worry about AI getting into privately held hands was Google buying DeepMind. But he tried to buy DeepMind before Google bought it. But give the benefit of the doubt, he has a point potentially here in the fact that OpenAI has totally changed the way in which it's structured, its profitability, and also the EU and the US are both investigating. I mean, okay, so he does have a point in the sense it's absurd to say we are doing this for the benefit of humanity. Meanwhile, we're raising uh, billions, if not trillions of dollars for this for-profit enterprise. You know, it, it, like there's something inconsistent there. Musk is right to point it out. However, if OpenAI is hypocritical, Elon Musk is also hypocritical. You know, one of his complaints is that Sam Altman and exerted too much control over OpenAI. Now, like, let's look at Tesla. Elon Musk you know, exerts near absolute control over Tesla. In fact, he's having a, a huge argument with the board now about getting more shares so he can have more control over this company and has threatened to take his AI elsewhere if he can't control it. So, so there is a bit of a, you know, it, it's good enough for Elon Musk, but maybe it's not good enough for OpenAI. Okay, hypocrite versus hypocrite. Ed, you heard from the other hypocrite? 
Uh, I've, I've written to Elon and I've invited him onto the program with us to explain his rationale. Why did you file the suit? But I did speak to his lawyer, Morgan Chu, who politely declined to give an interview or come on the program. But that, that's the root of my question, Max, right? We've talked about the Grok side of this story. We talked about Elon Musk's history of litigation. Whatever his motivations are, I don't really understand what the end result is, right? Because we know regulators are looking at OpenAI's model, the relationship with Microsoft. But ultimately, the compute costs are really high. They are commercializing as quickly as they can. What do, what do we think Musk is going to try and get out of this? I mean, I think the goal, uh, as I said earlier, is is to uh, attack a competitor. And 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 the fact is, you know, like Caroline said, he has a he has a point here. I mean, there, there's something a little weird about the structure, as we've been talking about, as others have been talking about, and as, of course, regulators are going to be looking at, right? One, one interpretation of this structure is that it was a way for Microsoft to get around antitrust concerns, because rather than, you know, buying an uh, AI company, it invested in this nonprofit. And, and so, again, this is just going to create further complication for OpenAI and Microsoft as they move forward. However, you know, I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact. I mean, OpenAI has, uh, you know, as, as the lawsuit basically acknowledges, you know, the market-leading technology here. You know, Microsoft is frantically putting it in all their products, putting it in Outlook and Excel and Word and so on. And, and this isn't going to stop any of that. But it is going to create, uh, you know, some serious headaches for Microsoft and OpenAI and probably ultimately for, for Elon Musk as well. Uh, incredible way to start the show. What an intense discussion. Let's see what happens. Bloomberg's Max Chafkin, thank you. Uh, let's stick with AI, but turn to the other player we've been talking about all week, Google. Its stock has not been doing so well this week after it had to pause its Gemini AI image generator feature. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Ryan Vestelica, who over a five-day basis has been trying to track it and been writing about it this morning. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Uh, so what do you think investors are really focused on here with Google. I remember a year ago when BARD first came out and we had the Hubble telescope gaffe and the severity of that decline. This week the decline less severe, but it's still there. Yeah, absolutely. And it just speaks to how people are so focused on AI and who is going to be the real leader in this field, especially when it comes to Gen AI and internet search and so forth, that any perceived misstep or controversy or inaccuracy or anything like that is going to be a reason for people to, you know, shoot first and ask questions later. And you've seen the stock move really in both directions on any sign of strength or weakness when it comes to, you know, Alphabet's uh, position within this technology, which has become really the absolute focus for, for anyone on Wall Street and anyone in Silicon Valley. And you're right to point out in history, Ryan, this has happened before last February mm -hmm. when Bard was questioned about uh, how ultimately strong it was in terms of answering. But we haven't seen a market share erosion. No, so far people continue to use Google. It has a pretty steady market share, especially relative to Bing, even though Bing has had all these new um, you know, AI features being implemented into it. The real question, though, is that um, because Google's market share is so dominant, is it really on the defensive here? And does it need to do all this investing and have all these kind of like tweaks and make sure that its product is as good as possible in order just to maintain its current share? That's the real question right now and the real concern, because so much of Alphabet's revenue and profits is really generated from internet search and the online advertising that comes with it. So if that is at risk at all, that's something that people are you know, very concerned about. And you know, obviously, we're seeing very short-term moves. And you know, this is going to be something that plays out over a longer period of time. But right now, when people are concerned about like 
what is going to be you know the the landscape for AI technology over the next coming years any kind of sense of who is in the who is in the lead or who is falling behind is being closely watched and the irony being they were so out in front a decade or so ago when they bought DeepMind and now or just seem to be misfiring. We really thank you so much for the story. Go read it online as well. Ryan Vestelica joining us on All Things Alphabet. Meanwhile, coming up, we're going to dive deeper into tech markets and, of course, into crypto after Bitcoin's rapid run this week. Fiona Canacotta is joining us from City Index. That's next. Ed, what are you looking at? Uh, Apple, because Apple declines are really accelerating in the session, down 1.4% now. Goldman Sachs removed Apple from its conviction list, but at the same time raised its price target on the stock to 232 from 223. They're basically saying that all of these concerns about new products, growth, particularly China, are masking that Apple's got a really strong ecosystem. Even so, if it's removed from the conviction list, there seems to be a lack of a conviction and the stock is down 1.4%. We'll be right back. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. had a run and we are still in price discovery mode according to Mike Novogratz of course the Galaxy Digital we're up look call it 20% over the last five training days we're at the highest since November 2021 we're at a $61,000 handle 69,000 is the record high back in those heady days of 2021 but let's get the take on the bull bear case around all of this Fiona Sincotta joins us senior market analyst at City Index you've got a take on tech on markets and on crypto and Fiona Play devil's advocate here, because we've talked a lot about supply, demand, dynamics, the reason that it's higher. But many people have fought back on me when I've been posting about it, for example, on LinkedIn, being like, why are you putting such a bull case out there? I'm not. I'm stating where prices are going. But give us the bear case. What would send us lower? Why not get into this asset? I think, I mean, as you said, the, the, the bull case is quite clear right now. I suppose there are concerns that we have seen sort of these really parabolic rallies in Bitcoin before, and then they have resulted in a follow-up 
sort of, you know, decline and sharp decline. So, I mean, if history is going to repeat itself, if we're looking at the charts of where we were in, for example, 2021, um, then, you know, we have seen this, this steep rally followed by a steep drop. And I guess there is a concern that, you know, is it overdone? Is this hot air? But I do still think, despite, you know, the suggestions that there could be a bear case, it's difficult to really hone in on that bear case when the facts, I think, are so blaringly obvious in favour of a bullish case. You know, just looking at the ETF demand that we're seeing, just keeping in mind the fact that we've got the halving event in April, which is going to slow down the um, supply of Bitcoin. I think these factors combined really do support that bullish case. I think, you know, perhaps we could see um, ETF demand start to fall off, but I just don't see that happening. You know, this right. really has flung open the door to the institutional investors. And I think that's what's helping this price higher. So, so I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of being in price discovery mode and the data behind what forms the bull or bear thesis, right? If you're an equities investor, you can look at the commentary or narrative from executives. You can look at third party data, credit card transactions to decide, for example, if a consumer is strong or not. What are the data sets that you look at to inform your view of what we call our risk asset of choice on this show, Bitcoin, away from yes. just simply tracking the price? Okay, so I think, you know, the, the, the data that we've been getting in on ETF inflows and outflows has been a huge help in, in trying to uh, decide where the, the next move's going with Bitcoin. That's been, I think, one of the main drivers that we've been watching. Um, I think sort of on-chain demand is another thing that we've been watching as well. But also, I think, risk sentiment. I mean, we know that risk sentiment broadly is very upbeat at the moment as far as we've got, you know, the NASDAQ at all-time highs. We've got expectations also that the Federal Reserve are going to be cutting interest rates at some point. So I don't think you can completely remove that fundamental analysis either. I think there is sort of, you know, those those data points that I said, I think that um, the ETF data has been a massive driving point at the moment. Uh, City Index Senior Market Analyst Fiona Cincotta, great to have you on the programme. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Autodesk out with fourth quarter earnings that beat expectations. Shares of the company seeing their biggest jump at one point since November of 2022. Let's bring in CEO Andrew and Agnos uh, to discuss what the street seems to like, different to some other companies in this quarter, is you had clear areas of strength in enterprise, but they believe you in your visibility of the earnings that are to come, you know, the pipeline of new business and revenue for this year. Why are you so confident in your visibility? Tell us about the world you operate in right now. Yeah, so we're confident in our visibility primarily because of our diversification. I mean, we are diversified across all the things that get made in the world. Buildings, infrastructure, products, movies, you name it, we're diversified across it and across all the geographies. So if you look at our history, we have a long record of delivering consistent performance, even when there's dark clouds hanging over one part of the industry or one part of the, of the world. So that's one of the things that gives us a lot of confidence is the diversification, diversification of our business and the resiliency of our business. And what has been the flavor of this earnings and certainly previous earnings, not just with you, but across the board, has been injecting AI into every word offering they can. But where's the reality of the artificial intelligence that you're currently bringing to, to 3D manufacturing, the future of manufacturing? Yeah, you know, one of the things I like to say, regardless of all the hype around AI right now, it's a long-term game. We're, the, the, the winners are going to be the people that deliver real productivity gains with this technology. So we've been doing this for a while. We've been in AI for at least a decade with machine learning algorithms and things associated with it. But what you're going to see is an ongoing pace of new types of capabilities rolling out to our customers. Recently, we just quietly rolled out a drawing automation technology for our Fusion product. It basically automates the creation of manufacturing drawing stacks, which is a huge productivity gain for our customers, all driven by AI. So you're going to see a bunch of those things that look like what I call bottom-up productivity enhancers, but you're also going to see some more disruptive top-down things that create 3D models from specifications of requirements or outcomes that people are right. trying to achieve. Uh, Andrew, I reported one year ago, almost to the day, that you were working very closely with Meta to take the Quest Pro and kind of give a more holistic hardware software offering to some of your customers. I think I'm right in saying you didn't talk about that on the earnings call. How is that relationship going? And, and have you any Vision Pro thoughts about how you can, can benefit there right, as well? It's right up there behind me on the shelf. The Vision Pro. I, I'm an active user, by the way. Look, again, with a lot of these technology trains, trends, you got to play the long game. It, virtual worlds, XR, augmented extended reality, as the hardware matures and as the capabilities mature, these are going to have real impacts on how our customers work and get their work done. So we have been making progress with these things. We, we released Workshop XR to our cust customers. Uh, and not, we haven't released it, we previewed it to our customers. We're going to be releasing it earlier this year. Keep watching as this hardware evolves. I think the Vision Pro, and one of the reasons why I've been actively using it myself, 
is kind of a canonical representation of, look, if you throw all the technology you can at it, can you solve the problems with nausea, disorientation? And I tell you, they are able to solve those problems. That means this is going to get miniaturized, it's going to get more practical, and you're going to see it become more ubiquitous probably over the next five or eight years. Great getting some time with you. And there's a great shelf behind you of various props and interesting bits and pieces. Andrew Agonost, we thank you so much. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Uh, let's get back to the Dell story. Bloomberg intelligence analyst Wu Jin Ho joins us for more. I mean, I was being a bit flippant, uh, Wu Jin, but, but that's the story, right? They have a server business that is benefiting from the AI infrastructure spend and build out that is happening around the world. Yep, and that's exactly right. Uh, so, so what we are starting to see is uh, the the enterprises as well as the corp, uh, cloud guys uh, working with Dell to buy some of their AI servers. Now, keep in mind, this business really uh, uh, didn't they didn't have any AI sales uh, in in fiscal 2024, and that's going from uh, essentially zero to about three billion dollars in fiscal 2025. That's amazing context. And what's interesting, also the context of Dell, is revenues actually fell. 11% overall, yet still the stock surges. So they must think that eventually this makes up for PC weakness. Uh, Caroline, could you repeat that, please? I think ultimately, are you seeing that this AI fervor in the AI server is going to make up for the weakness that we see in the PC sales? So, so I, I will tell you, so, so uh, one of the catchphrases that, that uh, I'm starting to think of is a triple tailwind. Right. So what you're starting to see in uh, fiscal 2025 is actually a recovery in the PC sales, uh, and that's going to contribute about 3% uh, growth. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be the rebound in the server business uh, helped by, uh, by AI. Now, one of the things that what, we, what I will say based on our checks in, in uh, last year is that companies were trialing out um, uh, AI, and what's going to happen in 25 is going from trials to production, which is helping to really drive up the sales in, in uh, fiscal 25 or calendar 24. 
A lot of focus. We've just started to touch the AI opportunities, is what we heard from the COO in the statements. Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Wu Jinho, brilliant to get your take up on Dell. Meanwhile, let's get back to Bitcoin. As I've been told I've been doing well on keeping on it for the last five days. Let's keep on it. Bitcoin climbing for the seventh consecutive day. Traders increasing bets. Look, that the digital currency is going to reach new highs. Here's what crypto investor Mike Novogratz had to say. I would say we've gotten to very frothy, frothy levels. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see some correction and some consolidation. But I'm very loath to pick a Bitcoin high because I really do believe this is price discovery. A blurry, but on point, Mike Novogratz. Let's talk about it all with Bloomberg's Uchi Yang. And what's interesting is everyone's wondering whether 69,000 is going to be the level that we're going to hit or not. Do you expect, are you the people you're talking to in the market anticipating it? I think the current rally really took a lot of people that we talked to by surprise. People generally believe that Bitcoin will recover uh, and rally this year, but nobody really saw it coming uh, and rising so much so quickly. And then this week, um, Bitcoin obviously surpassed the 60,000 level. The next price level that people are looking at is $69,000, which will be um, the, the, the uh, record high that it reached um, back in 2021. Um, but I think generally speaking, um, we're seeing very successful launches and results from the Bitcoin ETF that got approved mm. in January. And then even beyond Bitcoin, when you look into ease and even some of the, the mean tokens, they're seeing momentum as well. Uh, Yuchi, the banner at the bottom of the screen reminds the audience that crypto trades 24-7 and right now Bitcoin's actually a little softer, a tenth of 1%, $61,350 or so. Uh, Nograts is talking about price discovery and he's talking about the new army of investors that are coming in because of the, the accessibility of, of spot Bitcoin ETF. How closely is a team of the crypto team tracking that, that ETF data? Yeah, we are tracking the net flows with associated with the ETF every day. Um, I think the the um, number that we've seen this week is that since their launch, they've attracted over $7.5 billion of net, left, net uh, inflows into Bitcoin ETF. Uh, but we are also tracking uh, retail purchase momentum. We know that a lot of the buying um, are not only coming from Bitcoin uh, ETF buyers, but also uh, retail investors trading, uh, especially on offshore exchanges in Asia. And then Mike Novogratz actually yesterday uh, warned about the kind of leverage that retail people are using on these offshore exchanges. And he said that there might be risk of a correction. And if there is a correction, he could even see Bitcoin dropping to uh, the mid $50,000 range. Correction, mid 50, and then bouncing back up to a new record high. I think that's what he said. Bloomberg's Yuji Yang, great to have you on the show. Happy Friday. Now, coming up on the show, another former Rivian exec joins venture firm Eclipse. They're building a little gang of former EV folks over at that place, Caro. Uh, you're looking at shares of a publicly traded company. Yeah, while we double down on our manufacturing intertwining with AI and tech, let's go back to cybersecurity for a moment. Zscaler off by almost 10%, let's call it. And this is analysts are really worrying about the security software firm's growth, basically, or lack thereof in this second quarter billings wasn't strong as expected. Now, we sort of saw that with Palo Alto Networks, of course, some disappointment after a run-up in the shares, but they are still remaining positive on demand for the firm's products more broadly, but at the moment, weakness as they see a material deceleration in billings, according to Guggenheim. From New York, from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology.
What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Fisker shares plunging today after the EV maker issued a going concern warning and is seeking financial lifelines as liquidity challenges put doubts on its survival. You see there we're down by the most on record. The stock trading around 40 cents a share, miles away from its kind of EV SPAC euphoria peak 2021. Let's bring in Fisker CEO, Henrik Fisker, to discuss. And Henrik, you and I spoke last night, and, and so we're grateful to you for coming back on the show this morning. The situation is that you're talking to a single automaker, and you're not naming that automaker, but the hope is that you form a partnership, and that partnership includes an investment from that automaker into your business to give you some, a cash injection. My question is, why would the automaker do that? at a time where EV demand or growth is slowing and the legacy OEMs are pulling back? Well, good to be on the show, Ed. Well, you know, we have already shown that we have delivered a vehicle which is the first real competitor to the world's best-selling EV, the Tesla Model Y. It has a longer range than Tesla Model Y. It has more features than Tesla Model Y and is better priced. And I think that, of course, everybody wants to kill us right now. That's clear because nobody likes a disruptor coming in the market and doing this. Uh, but, you know, I think we have value uh, and we have proven it. Uh, we have uh, two vehicles that are ready to go, uh, both an affordable EV as well as an electric pickup truck. So I think we have a lot to offer. And, uh, you know, yes, it would be great to get a large OEM in. But, you know, as we pivot to our dealer model, uh, I actually feel we are doing really well right now, uh, despite the, all the warnings and concerns that are out there. So uh, I think we have a lot to yes. offer. So yeah, 
My, the, the short question is, what happens if there's no saviour? What will you do? And the way you explained it to me is you have $500 million worth of finished goods inventory and parts inventory. And you, you ha it hasn't really worked selling direct to the consumer, so you're shifting to a dealer model. And you have all these cars ready to sell, and you think that that will unlock cash pretty quick, right? How can you tell me with confidence that that's going to work, the dealer model, to start getting cars into consumer hands? Well, first, we're not, I, I don't think we're looking for a savior per se. We're looking for a strategic partner. That's number one, which we are discussing with. But number two, uh, yes, we have a lot of uh, uh, inventory already that we have purchased, about half a billion. Um, which means we can unlock that cash, and uh, we have already signed up about 17 uh, dealer uh, dealers uh, or, or dealer locations, uh, both in U U.S. and Europe. And the dealers are super excited to actually get our vehicle because finally they can get hold of an independent EV maker. You know, the dealers in U.S. has been sitting and looking over the fence for 10 years of having, uh, looking at the best-selling uh, electric vehicle, the Tesla Model Y. They've not had any competitive product. And finally, they get one, which is the Fisker Ocean, with a 360-mile range, longer than the Tesla, and better priced. And our dealers are ecstatic to get this product. They have not been able to have a product like this before. And I can see that this is going to go really well for us with the dealers because they're being in locations we formerly weren't. Yeah. We only had two cases in the U.S., and now already we have more than nine. Henrik, you say you're an independent alternative. You say you're not looking for a savior, you're looking for a partner. But what lengths would you go to to ensure that you remain a viable business? Would you sell the business? Would you give up majority control? Well, I believe that we are a viable business in, in the sense that we have a great product. We are signing on dealers, and as I mentioned, we will generate a lot of cash with the vehicles we are selling because they're pretty much paid for already. So is a lot of our inventory that we have at our manufacturing partner. Um, so at this point in time, we are looking at a partner. Uh, we, we, I, I don't think we need to discuss, uh, are we selling the business, et cetera. I think we are in discussions with a very large uh, car company and that's what we are aiming to uh, finish that discussion and, and making a strategic partnership as soon as we can. That big partner that you're in talks with, are they American? Do they have to be American? Could you look to China? Because many would say, look, the viable competitor to a Tesla is BYD. But there's a lot of limitations to having deals with Chinese partners right now. They're, they're not Chinese. First of all, uh, you know, there is nobody except for us that actually has a viable competitive product to the Tesla Model Y. Nobody has a vehicle on the planet that has a longer range than Tesla Model Y except for us. And we also have a better price. So, of course, everybody wants to kill us, but we have seen multiple car companies being interested in us because of that. Because we don't talk about having a product in two or three years like some other startups. We are talking about having a product now. We have it. It's ready. And, yes, we do need U.S. manufacturing, and that's what this other OEM is offering us. Uh, Henrik, we're having some trouble with your shot, so I, uh, I'm just going to jump in real quick. You say that they're trying to kill us. You know, let's end this on a positive note. One thing you explained to me is your guidance, 20 to 22,000 EV deliveries this year. And you're really confident that if demand improves, 
you can dial up the production, right, and, and deliver more of them. Just explain that in the context of the relationship you have with Magna and your business model, because that seems to be the confidence you have that you can get yourself out of this situation. Yeah, so Magna obviously is a contract manufacturer and they can produce if they want 70,000 vehicles for us, 50,000 vehicles. We are obviously going out with a conservative 20,000 to 22,000 deliveries this year. But if we see that there's more demand, and in fact, we have had a few dealers telling us, are you sure you can deliver us enough cars? Because we think we can sell more cars than what you're offering us right now. And yes, we can then dial up uh, the production very easily. And that's something that's unique for us because we have a contract manufacturer. Uh, and you know, I'm very confident that we can easily sell the 20 to 22,000. We want to start with that conservatively. And if we can do more, we can dial up production. No problem. Fisker CEO, Henrik Fisker, really transparent. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Let's turn our attention to venture capital right now because Silicon Valley investment fund Eclipse has hired another high-profile Rivian alumni, ramping expertise to invest in modernizing physical industries. This time it's Jiten Bell, formerly Rivian's chief growth officer and held plenty of roles actually at the business. He joins us now for more on your move to venture capital on today's VC Spotlight. And Jiten, you, I mean, you have a previous consulting background and then indeed operations but not investing what draws you to eclipse why want to be putting money and expertise on the line now absolutely caroline first of all thanks for having me on the show it's great to be here so you know when i decided to leave rivian uh, last year the first thing i had to do was just reset and do some self-reflection um, on my rivian journey you know I, I joined the company back in 2015 um, at that time, with just a few of us, uh, there was no technology, there was no product, there was no brand, obviously, no suppliers, uh, you know, no investors, no manufacturing. It was really a clean sheet. And uh, to take that company from that stage to eight years later, um, you know, launching three vehicles in a span of nine months, uh, delivering 50,000 vehicles to our customers um, over, a, over a, you know, first full year of production, doing an IPO along the way. The insight that I really had was, uh, you know, how much I enjoyed building the business, but more importantly, you know, the learnings and the experience that I had uh, was so unique. You know, taking the company from zero to one, one to 10, 10 to 100, and I want to make sure that whatever I do next, uh, it leverages that experience. And I wanted to stay in the startup ecosystem and help build companies. Um, so when I understood right. that the job description is to help founders, uh, you know, I knew it was the right zip code. And well, what, I, I mean, Rivian is so far now away from when I first came across you and, and got to know RJ. It was just a couple of dozen people in a, in a shed, for want of a better expression. Yeah. But um, something's missing, though, right, that, that a lot of the problems in the EV industry, infrastructure as well, is that the technology is not there in one or another area. Are you confident that you can help Eclipse find whatever that innovation is? How are you going to do it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, take a step back. You know, businesses typically have operated in these long waves of innovation cycles. And these innovation cycles tend to disrupt specific markets and specific sectors that create outsized value. Um, you know, the last wave of the software and the internet, you know, changed the ways how we leverage data, how we connected with each other and created massive software businesses. But if you look at the current wave, which is led by AI, uh, we're in the early stages of this wave, 
the biggest, the deepest, and the broadest impact this is going to have is on the physical industries. And it's not difficult to imagine when you insert technology and AI in these physical industries, you can have massive impact on costs, right. on safety, new products. And it seems all intuitive now, but Eclipse had this thesis 10 years back. Well, and, uh, just very quickly, like, I, I, we know the Eclipse thesis. You know, we've had some of the partners on the show. You know, Rivian is having a hard time at the moment. They cut jobs. Yeah. You know, the, the, they're a lot riding on the R2. What are the lessons that you learned, even if they were mistakes that Rivian yeah. made, that you can help the next startup avoid? Absolutely. There are lots of lessons, but uh, the few that are top of my mind. Number one, um, embrace complexity. You know, make complexity your friend. That's the only way to create long-term differentiation. And the second one I would say is have that intense focus, uh, especially in the early years. Really answer that question, why does the world need another company in that segment? And even as you progress and you get money, I think it is important to retain that focus. You know, most startups don't fail because of starvation. They fail because of indigestion. Uh, it's important to say no to things. And I would say, finally, just take big risks. Uh, you know, you're going to go up against big incumbents and change the ways businesses have operated for a long time. You just have to make sure you have that instinct and take big risks. Big risks that you take in Silicon Valley, that you look globally for opportunities. Where is your focus going to be, Jatend, for this sort of disruption? Yeah, our focus at Eclipse is, uh, is in, in the U.S. and North America. We're looking for founders who are looking to disrupt these massive industries, these massive sectors. And, of course, they'll find applicability globally. Uh, but we are, we are very much keen on building the infrastructure, the capabilities, the technologies um, here in the U.S. Eclipse partner, Jitem Bell, formerly of Rivian. It's great to catch up. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the 2024 edition of Mobile World Congress, it's now come to an end over in Barcelona. And the big takeaway was this year, of course, you guessed it, generative AI. But really what's interesting is who's doubling down on AI used within devices and who isn't. 
Apple, for example, really being pushed for more generative AI features, and that's all according to Bloomberg Intelligence analysts. Maybe if they get ahead of the game, they can spare a badly needed iPhone refresh cycle, jumpstart revenue growth. And this is a great piece coming out from Anurag and the team over at BI and that you shone a light on. Ultimately, there yeah. were two billion devices out there in the world. If they can just get us to upgrade, to renew with generative AI on our phone or PCs, well, they can give the Huawei some good run for their money. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of frustration with Apple that we don't know what their plan is for generative AI, right? And the team on the ground at Mobile World Congress are basically saying, look at all of the Chinese handset makers in particular, showing us what's possible on device. But they gave us this data point, 43% of handsets, iPhone handsets, are iPhone 12 or older. So potentially everyone could upgrade yeah. if only they knew what AI tools they could do on their phone. Meanwhile, you saw from the rivals, the Xiaomi's and the like, then they are show already showing capability. Samsung's already debuted. I mean, there are first steps, at least. But the fact that Android's on the equation, we're still waiting for an iPhone to come out with some sort of, well, update to Siri, if anything else. Yeah, the, the focus for Apple has been Xcode and, and coding in general rather than the hardware iOS right now. But keep track of it. I'm sure it will come. Well, it will if they're moving all of their car folks over to generative AI. That's for sure the big news of the week. There has been so much to digest, and that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Uh, recap on the podcast. Big thank you to everyone that listens to the podcast every day. We know loads of you do that on your way to work or when you're chilling. Get it on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and all the Bloomberg platforms. This is Bloomberg Technology. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.